This morning we're going to turn God to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. There's a verse that we are taking as our memory work for this month. Psalm 27. As we Let's uh, read together this psalm, taking our text from the last verse. But let's all read Psalm 27. I reading, you following along. For the Lord is my and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wicked, even my name of my should encamp against me. My heart against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of the tabernacle shall he hide me upon a rock. of joy. Yea, I Plain path. See the good. Be of good. his word to our hearts for Jesus sake again as I mentioned we're taking together the last verse of this and I do what I am calling the benefit of belief the benefit of belief but before we go forward 
Lord, we pray now that thou wouldst allow the word of God to be used by the Spirit of God to do the work for it to do. No work at all. It shall not return to you empty, but it will do what you mean for it to do. So, Lord, we call upon thee as, our, as thy people. Then do thy work in our hearts today. Lord, we need to hear from our God. We need to be delivered from ourselves. We need to see the devil beaten and thwarted and turned away from all the things that he would want to do to us as the people of God, to scatter the sheep, as it were. So, Lord, we pray that you will let the voice of Christ be heard then. Allow us to have a time with thyself. Overrule that which has to do with man. And Lord, exalt that which has to do things in Jesus' name and for his sake. The title that I'm using this morning was suggested to me by a comment on this psalm by David Dixon in the 1600s. I was immediately struck this phrase the plainly is that belief in the Lord and the benefits of his finished work before the Father in glory is not only a state of good heart and mind but existing in faith is a very powerful and purposeful effect. Faith moves. Faith upholds. Faith strengthens. Faith propels. Now this truth to which we can all nod in personal knowledge is not something that to us is new or mysterious. We are familiar with the idea of faith. We have first-hand experience of the work that faith does in us. But the reason for the statement about faith in this text and tending call to be careful to exercise a careful waiting on the Lord is given because there is such a need for every believer to work on, feed on, and labor toward such truths and graces that bolster faith. Again, we have said this many times here. Grace works. I would add to this, faith moves. Grace works. It does what God intends for it to do. Faith is that which is given of God to move the heart and mind and soul of a child of God to that place where grace is realized and rejoiced over. Now we are given a clear call to give ourselves then to such duties, practices, and habits that turn our minds and hearts to the person of our Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You're to stay your mind on Him. In other words, bring every issue. Bring every matter into focus under the 
the light, verse 1. The Lord is my light. Bring it into focus under the light of the person of the Lord. Christ is not only there for us. He is in every matter concerning the people of God altogether. He is not only aware of our need. He is absolutely for us. For us to rise up with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the desire of Christ for you. You just stop for a second and think about that. This morning as you hear my voice, Christ Jesus is desiring for you as a child of God to be where you are filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now we are given a great promise, a great hope. That as we work on feeding faith, that's what I'm going to call it, feeding faith, we will see marvelous things. Perhaps in this thought, the words of Psalm 68 verse 19 find an interesting application. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. Benefits. The benefits of faith. There is a benefit to belief. There is a substantial working in our hearts by the presence and the exercise of faith. So, I say in many ways, this word at the end of Psalm 27 is a call for you and me to water our faith. Much like you would water plants in a garden. Water your faith. Now David sets for the truth of what he has just said a listing of how he has known the dealing of God with him because of the faith that the Lord has implanted in his heart. You can read through this psalm and see it. Verses 1 to 6 speak about how David details how he was strengthened by his faith and how he meant to strengthen that faith as well. Verses 7 to 12, David presents how he prayed based on faith. Verse 13, David declares what advantage he had because of believing in the Lord. And then verse 14, David exhorts all saints to be helped as he was by actively giving the heart to God in faith. So this morning I want us to think on this subject, the benefit of belief. And I will suggest to you this as our thought, our key thought. We are to grow in faith, for faith has a multitude of gracious effects on our hearts. We grow in faith by walking with the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. If you wait on the Lord, you walk with the Lord, you're going to know the benefits of faith working in your hearts as you do that very thing. So I want us to consider our text this morning. I have four short things I want to present to you about this commandment, if you will, at the end of Psalm 27. I want you to break it down with me into four parts. Number one, 
I want you to see with me in this verse we have an instruction. We're going to notice the instruction. The instruction is wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Well, we would have to stop at this point and ask the question right at the outset. What does this instruction mean? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, Mr. Spurgeon makes a suggestion by noting the associated activity that comes with this idea. So he says this in sort of an almost poetic sense. Wait at his door with prayer. To wait on the Lord is to wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. What does it mean? Well, that's food for thought on those points for sure. But I want us to consider a little bit more in depth, perhaps, the meaning of wait on the Lord. I did suggest the idea of waiting last week briefly in our time together. But I want you to see that waiting on the Lord includes what I see as three things. First, there's a note of exclusivity. Exclusivity. To wait on the Lord means that I am to esteem him as the only proper object of my hope and my faith. I wait for him and I wait only for him. Now I would suggest if you take that thought, the words of the Lord Jesus come into sharp focus when he says in Matthew 6 and 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, the Lord Jesus says to us plainly, you can't have multiple places where you're setting your affections or your time or your interests or your energies. You as a child of God are to wait only upon the Lord your God. I would suggest though the thought is broader than just that I have one master. It is also that I have only one place in which my spiritual energies are to be used. I wait on the Lord. We are to be given to a real desire and searching of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 29. Some well-known verses. The Lord speaking to his people, although a people who were not what they should have been. The Lord does say in mercy, in verse 12 of Jeremiah 29, then shall you call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you and ye shall find me. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. There's the point. We seek no other but Christ. We have confidence in no other but Christ. No one in this world is to us what our Savior is. We are to be determined we will have no other master, we will have no other allegiance, we will have no other one that we will look to save the Lord. This is 
to be then a truth that excludes all other attractions. What are we given to? What are we giving our hearts and minds to in this life? It should be only Christ Jesus. It is Christ alone for me. He is the object of all my trust. That's the motto that should be for every believer. There's a note of exclusivity. There's secondly, a, there's a note of expectancy. The act of waiting or faith-filled belief carries with it a real expectation that the reality of what has been promised will be known. What God has said, I will see. What God has promised, I will have. In other words, there is not the faithless accounting for all the what-ifs. And I say this, stay with me here. This is an exclusion of the faithless accounting of all the what-ifs of life. What-ifs that just might occur if the Lord doesn't fulfill His promise. You say, nobody does that. <laughs> I think probably we've all done it. Probably we've done it even today. What if the Lord doesn't act for me the way that I think that the Word of God says He should be acting? And so we tell ourselves, we preach to ourselves, we convince ourselves that the prudent thing would be for us to answer the question or to accept the motto, you must be prepared for what may happen if the Lord does not work. So if the Lord doesn't do it, what, what's, what's, what's the second thing? What's my plan B? You've got to think about these things. You understand that the scripture in this verse is saying exactly the opposite. You are not to be a saint whose life is filled with plans B, C, and D. You're not to be one who says, well, I, you know, if the Lord doesn't come through, if the Lord doesn't show that he's going to work and help me, then, then I need to be prepared by this or that. I, you know, you got to set your heart in a place where you're not surprised when things don't happen the way that the scriptures say that the Lord would probably have us receive from his hand. No. Again, this scripture that we're reading here today is exactly the opposite in its message. And you and I might, as David did here, as he recounted the things that the Lord has done, we might then say that we can expect as much of great working of our God to be done for us in the future as he has already done for us in the past. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Can you ever, have you ever been able to say that? Have you ever been able to say the Lord's done something that's been a great thing for you? If you're honest, you'll say, boy, how many can I begin to number? Isn't that something that preaches to you? That he'll continue to do? Waiting on the Lord has a note of expectancy. That you will know more of his gracious goodness and the sweetness of his presence. But I also want to say this. In these words, there is a note of estimation. Exclusivity. Expectancy. 
and estimation. Here we see that there is purely a matter of valuing the Lord and His mercies. Wait on the Lord. I value Him and what He has said more than perhaps the things that I see. This may be an overly simplistic illustration to you, but I'll, I'll offer it to you. Maybe it'll make my point a little bit clearer. You know, I suppose it's possible that there might be a time that somebody. Well, I'm going to put. I'm going to say it myself because I know how I would feel in this. That somebody might come to me after a nice meal and offer me a piece of mincemeat pie. This meat pie is okay. It's pretty good stuff, I guess. And, you know. But if I knew that on the counter there was a lemon meringue pie, I would say, no, thank you. I appreciate the offer of the mincemeat. I think I will wait for something that I esteem better. I'm waiting for the lemon meringue. I want you to understand, in a sense, that's what we're doing when we wait upon the Lord. There may be things that will be presented to you, things that seem good and useful and prudent and whatever else you want to say that make it to be something that say, well, this is a, this is a good thing. But to say, I'm going to wait on God because I know from his hand I'll have something that's far better. That, I say, is in view here. I'll give you another illustration. We, my wife and I listened to a message this week that used this as an illustration. Saul was chasing David. Saul goes uh, into a cave for a few moments, a cave in which David and his men were known to be in the side. It didn't, wasn't, Saul didn't know it, of course, but David and his men were in the sides of the cave, hiding. And one of David's men, his counselor perhaps, gives him the elbow. This is the day that the Lord has provided for you vengeance over your enemies. Let's go kill Saul. We could do it in a half a second, and you would be king right now. How can I do this thing to the Lord's anointed? God had a purpose, still has a purpose for Saul. The Lord has something for me that also has yet to be seen. I will not do this thing, though it seems to be a very prudent choice. I am going to wait on the good providence of God. Because I know God's providence, what God chooses for me, will be far better, far more thorough, far more conclusive, and ultimately, for me, far more joyous than what you're suggesting. Do you understand? You just think of it this way. David...
and his men would for the rest of his life be rid of hand was completely off Saul and all of Saul's sons as well I would just ask you to think about it this way too just as a by the way what do you think it would have done for the relationship between Jonathan and David if David had killed Saul killed his how would Jonathan have felt if his father had been killed by the one he counted as his very best and dearest friend there's all kinds of things that go along with that. But my point to you is this. We are to wait upon the Lord our God, upon His providences, upon His provisions. We esteem Him and His will and His way of more value than we do all the things that we might perceive as good for ourselves. Well, I come then to my second point. The first point was the instruction. Wait on the Lord. My second point is what I'm calling the improbable. The improbable. Be of good courage. In other words, if you want it literally, be firm. I use the word improbable as my heading here because I, I ask the question, who can be of good courage just by deciding to be so can you be of good courage just because you say okay I'm going to be of good courage is that going to happen well for most of us no even in the smallest of things you know sometimes we go to the doctor and the doctor says well I'm afraid today we're going to have to draw some blood Ah, be of good courage. Here comes the needle. Is it always easy? Okay, I am now so full of good courage that I know that needle is not going to hurt. Nothing. Mm. Is that the truth of it? You cannot work up courage just by deciding to do it. Now, you can be one that has a resolve within yourself to do what you need to do, but I don't necessarily call it courage. David Dixon makes a statement. He says, well, really what we're talking about here is that we are to hold up the heart in duty until the Lord sends the outgate. That was a great sentence to me after I figured out what he was saying. In other words, do what you are told, no matter if it is exceedingly hard, hard until God opens the way for another path. You do what you are told, even though it's hard to do, until God opens a way for another path. That is to be of good courage. Well, now, I want us to take a step back and say, well, that maybe defines something, but it still doesn't answer the question, how can I be of good courage? How can you be of good courage? Well, let me say there's only one way. And as I heard many times when I was sitting in our congregation in Greenville years ago now, 
I used to hear it said, you cannot have the effects of faith by trying to work it up in yourself. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. Courage, faith, is not something that you work up in yourself. In fact, it is quite the opposite. Stay with me here. Courage, to be of good courage, is not working up in yourself something. It's quite the opposite. It's actually emptying yourself. You empty yourself of all that has to do with you and your heart's desires and your ways of thinking and your presuppositions. It is a total emptying of yourself and is simply committing yourself to Christ. You know, the Lord Jesus uses the words uh, that those that lose their life shall find it. Well, how do you lose your life? You empty yourself. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empty myself by your help of all but a dependence upon my God. a sense in which we would have to come to the place where we'd say I don't care what others say I don't care what happens to me I will do what the Lord has said come whatever he wills that is waiting on the Lord that is being of good courage I wait upon the Lord I empty myself of all my desires and I wait for his will it is waiting to receive what only he gives we hold to nothing of ourselves. The improbable thing becomes the possible thing by the grace of God. Third, I want us to see what I'm calling the inevitable. The inevitable. It says, He shall strengthen thine heart. That's going to happen. Here, I say, is a word of David, a word of testimony from his mouth of what he found every time that the Lord was waited upon. Every single time that he found himself casting himself at the Savior's feet, as it were, he found this to be true. His heart was strengthened. Even in that day when he fled from Absalom, and all was dark as could be, he encouraged himself. His comment concerning that day 2 Samuel 15, verse 25, And the king said to Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he thus say, I have no delight in thee, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. David says, I will trust in the Lord because the mercies of God are sure. I will rest there. He will strengthen the heart. You could go through this psalm and start noting the things. I think it's a good thing for us to do that. If you were to look at verse 1, David says that the strengthening of the Lord included light amid darkness. He's my light and my salvation. Salvation from destruction. He is also my salvation. Strength to go forward in hardship. And the queller of every fear. So it says verse 1. Verse 2. David 
points to the providential failures of his enemies who plot. There is the Lord strengthening him. Verse 3 and 4. Though enemies seek to keep from enjoying him from enjoying the things of God, there will still be a meeting with God anyway. Though they rise up, they are not going to prevent him from knowing his God. Verse 5. That he, he says that he is hidden under the providence of God. Verse 6. There's a rejoicing in a time of impending war. Verse 10. There's fellowship and care when none is found by men. Though mother and father would forsake. I know that I will have the fellowship of my God. Verse 13 is a summary statement. Sort of interesting. What are the possible things that you could know from the hand of God that would strengthen your heart? What? And I ask you this. In your mind, with me, try to... What are some things that you would say... If the Lord did this or added this or helped in this way, that would be a strengthening to my heart. David says all those things, whatever your list is, he, he says, I've given you a list here, the first six verses, first up to verse 10 actually, I have listed for you some things that I have known in my own life. But here's the thing, I'm just going to say it as a summary to you. Verse 13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There it is. That's a summary statement. Whatever it is that you would say, this will strengthen my heart. David says, I will see that in the land of the living. God will do that for me. He will strengthen my heart. He will come to me and add faith, add grace, add mercies. He will come and be to me all things that I need while I am breathing air in this world. So I say, the meaning of he shall strengthen is a very broad statement. It means whatever is the need of the heart and the life, the Lord will provide it. It's not just, I'll be strong enough to bear up a trial. No, sir. He will strengthen you with whatever grace, whatever mercy is needed for you in that day, at that time, based on the providential care of God. And his purposes for you in this time. Keep it in mind, child of God. It is given to you not only to believe on the Lord Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. Do you understand that the purpose of God is for you to believe, but the purpose is also for you to suffer? Why? Because in that moment, God is doing something according to his eternal purposes that is for your good, for your glory, or for his glory. And you will know him adding to you all things that are needed in that hour. The Lord will provide these things. And I'm going to say this even in a more theological sense, if you want to say it. These short words, he shall strengthen thine heart, is a capsulized way of presenting the covenant of God. The eternal covenant of God made first with the Lord Jesus that all that the Father would give would be brought to him. But first, all that are brought to him will be knowing the sustaining graces of God in Christ Jesus. He shall strengthen thy heart. That is a summary theological statement that we might call the perseverance of the saints in all the ways that that is to be understood. It is an eternal and a covenantal promise. Paul speaks of this to the Corinthians. He presents the same truth to the Corinthians in different words. 
1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. He says to the Corinthians, watch ye. Let's see if it doesn't sound somewhat the same way. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. It almost sounds like the same kind of wording. You wait. You watch. You set your heart upon Christ. You stand fast in the faith of what He has done for you and has promised He will continue to do. Now you have good courage. Quit you like men. Be strong. And I say, when you are able to know the Lord doing this work, when you are sensing that this is happening as a result of waiting on the Lord, this is a grace that will allow you to rejoice. We are told to rejoice evermore, are we not? Well, how are you supposed to do that? This is a path. You wait on the Lord. You trust in Him. You obey Him. You do what you're told. You stay faithful to what He has said. You believe those things that He has said to you in the Word. And you wait patiently in His providences. You're going to find yourself being able to rejoice evermore. My last point. is what I'm calling the imperative. You say, what do you mean? He just said, wait on the Lord. Isn't that an imperative? Yes, it is. But he also repeats it. He says, wait, I say. The fact that the call to wait is said twice makes it an emphatic, meaning exclamation points. In other words, if you will, I would suggest to you that David here, by the leading of the Spirit of God, using those two words, I say, is simply asking the question, do you hear? Do you hear? This is not some little thing. This is not a minor point. This is not just some good part of the Christian lifestyle that you're to employ or something that will make your character more evidently sound in the eyes of others. This is a scriptural God. This is how you go forward through life. This is how you are going to know victory. Wait, I say on the Lord, do you hear? Are you listening? This is most important. This is your life. Trust in Christ. Walk with Christ. Here's the great help. Here are all the benefits of belief known. Wait on the Lord. I say wait. Well, I conclude by reading you two verses. That the Lord says will be true of those that look to him. I am come that they might have life or that they might have it more abundantly. There is 
another summary statement. Abundant life is a result of waiting on Christ. Romans 8 and 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are conquerors. David puts that in this psalm as a very, very plain and clear picture. The enemy's rising up. They're not triumphing over him. He rising up in victory over them. Yes, we also will find all these things that are against us to be that which finds defeat. If we wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. Well, may the Lord help us to have some of these things in our minds as we continue to memorize this verse for this month. May it be that which ministers to us through the Spirit of God. Let's all pray. Father in heaven now, we would pray that you will bless this time. We pray that you will allow the word that's gone forward to not only instruct, but Lord, to draw, Lord, to correct, and Lord, to excise even things that are in our thinking and in our hearts that keep us from the abundant life and being more than conquerors. Lord, I pray that you will bless now. Continue to speak with us as, to us as we go through thy days of the day, we pray. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.